Welcome to the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. Today we're going to be talking about what to look for when you're hiring an attorney and specifically what to look for when you're hiring an immigration attorney or an immigration lawyer to represent you in your case. And um, the questions that we suggest that you go through in your head, when you're doing your research, and when you're talking to attorneys and trying to select one uh, to represent you in your matter. So one of the first things you want to look for is what is the quality of that representation that you're getting? What is the quality of that firm or the attorney that you're hiring? And what, what does quality mean? Well, quality means professionalism. Like, What are you going to get with that attorney, with that representation? Right. Like what level of responsiveness is going to be good for you? So do you want somebody who's going to take a week to respond to your emails? Do you want an email response the next day? Are they going to be someone who picks up the phone every time you call? Someone you got to schedule a call with in advance? You know, figure that out because uh, it could be frustrating for both the attorney and you if you're looking for something, a level of responsiveness that that attorney isn't avail- able to give you. Yes, and you can tell a lot from your initial contact to the firm that you're looking into. True. So how long does it take them to answer the phone when you call? If you answer the phone, do they want to do they want a, a fee just to speak to them? Are you even able to get to an attorney? Are they going to schedule you an attorney? Who's answering that phone and how do you, how do they treat you? You can tell a lot from that initial call mm-hmm. um, and how responsive they are. If you do a web inquiry through their website or wherever it might be, how long are they re- take sure, to yeah, respond like to if that? If you do an email web inquiry, query, are you getting an email back right away or are you waiting a week before they get back to you? Yeah, that's, in a that's a good manner. indicator into how they're going to treat you once you're a client of theirs, because if they're not getting back to you right away when you're looking for an attorney, once you're a paying client, is it going to get any better or worse? You know, you're usually it stays about the same. Or gets worse. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> in my that. experience, I think it gets worse. We get a lot of people who call us who say, I have an immigration case. I have some questions about it. But the attorney I have is we, yeah. We ask them. Emails. So, do you have an attorney already representing you? And sometimes my, they my say yes. My company has an attorney, or right. I have one, but they're just not responding. They're not answering my calls. Right. They're not answering my I emails. I sent them three emails, and they haven't got back to me. And I need to know the answer today. And I will say we do not do that. It, yeah. We respond to inquiries and phone calls and emails in a timely manner. That's what. That's what we're here for. Right. Well, we, may, we may not be able to times, pick up the phone when you call. No, because we might be on the phone with somebody else or dealing with another matter. Right, but we'll get back to you as soon as pretty we can. quickly. Yeah. yeah. Especially if it's an urgent matter, we're going to get back to you as quick as we can. And that's another thing to take into account. You know, if it's if it were just me, well, I might not be available all the time because I'm dealing with many different things. Maybe no, like I'm if you were a US solo CIS, attorney. Yes. Yeah. Or maybe a, whatever it might be. Well, if that firm has multiple employees, office managers, secretaries, paralegals, attorneys, well, there's a lot of individuals that can assist you, even if that one person you're trying to contact isn't there. So look at the level of professionalism you're going to get. What What's that quality of representation? And people look at cost, right? When they're doing that analysis, what's the mm-hmm. quality? Well, cost isn't always an indicator of the representation you're going to get, but it 
can be. If somebody is, if you're calling around to attorneys and, and an attorney says, you know what, I'm going to handle your, and I'm just going to throw out some random numbers. If I'm going to handle your, your TN visa application for you for $500. And then you call another firm and they say, I'm going to handle your TN visa application for you for 6,000. Well, which one is good and which one is bad and yeah. how do you make the true yeah, how, how do you, do you how know? do you determine what the level of representation you're going to get there is this well, one of those you get what you pay for situations or is it you know you can go budget and uh, get the same kind of quality work elsewhere but, yeah exactly are you going to get the knockoff product and get the same <laughs> thing as you would with, right. with the real with deal? the designer brand <laughs> or not yeah right is that knockoff product going to fail real quick yeah the designer brand is going to last you a long time I'll say in my experience, you often get what you pay for in everything, even with legal representation. Um, if it's really, really cheap, the fee that they're charging you, well, you're probably going to get somebody who's very experienced or get a very low level of representation. Uh, so the quality generally is attached to the fee. Uh, a more experienced attorney is probably going to charge you more. Uh, I'll say our fees are a lot more than they were when, when we're starting out. Why? Well, our experience is we have a lot more experience. The quality that we provide is better. We have more staff. All of these things you're getting with that. Uh, so the quality representation improves because of that. So you get a lot more for what you're paying. So although price isn't the end-all be-all, don't just hire an attorney based on their fee. Because if you do, you you could be getting what you're paying for in a bad way. So be careful when you're looking at the fee. Reviews. That's also a good way to determine whether there's a good attorney out mm -hmm. there. That's a good way, yeah, because people don't leave reviews, good reviews, if they're getting bad representation. So look for that as an indicator. Um, you know, obviously, the more good reviews, the better chance you have that this attorney is going to be um, someone who's responsive, somebody who handles your matter professionally, and somebody who you want to work with. Um, and do they have reviews for the type of situation that you're looking into? True. Yeah. Do right. you have, do they have reviews from clients that have had the same type of matter with that attorney and have had a positive experience? And when you're speaking with that attorney, hopefully you get to speak with them before you hire them. You, you'd speak to us definitely before, before you're going to hire us or we hire you. I say it's a two way street. Yeah. You're going to speak to one of us. You're, we're not going to send out a retainer or retaining somebody without speaking to them. So when you, when you have that conversation, see if they can back it up. If they can talk about, ask them directly, do you have experience in, in this situation that I have? I'm marrying a U.S. citizen. Right. And so, so, for example, there's a lot of um, immigration attorneys who do business immigration, but they don't have any business acumen. Um, I've seen it time and again. They don't really know what type of questions to ask. They may retain somebody who's ineligible for uh, a type of visa, and then they're scrambling on the back end to make it fit. You want to talk to somebody who understands your business, who you know at least has a basic understanding of business structure, um, and can ask you the type of questions they need to determine whether or not your eligibility is there before they retain you. Yes, exactly. Or you and retain them, pardon me. Yeah, and, and if you're dealing with let's say TN visas, for example, well, there's 63 different professions on the TN professions list. Every one of them has different qualifications and the approach is different. Have they dealt with your specific case? If, if you're a management consultant, have they actually done a case for a management consultant? If they have, how successful are they at them? 
Have they dealt with a third country national getting a TN visa, which can be even more complicated, right? You're not Canadian born, so you're educated in another country. Well, how's that going to impact your TN application? Do they have reviews to support it? We don't, we won't give you a name of a client for confidentiality purposes. We're not going to say XYZ is our client, call them. But if you Google us and you research us, you're going to find reviews. You're going to find examples of the casework we've done in the past. And we'll share examples with you over the phone too and explain how we have experience in your, in your specific matter. But reviews are important, uh, especially in today's world where you can go online and easily And make sure the reviews are recent too. So if somebody's got a bunch of reviews out there and they're from 2019, you know, that may not be a good representation of where they're at with their firm right now and the type of service they're offering. Yeah, and and not everybody gives reviews. Some people will, we get emails and calls all the time. I just got off the phone with somebody today who just got approved for their e-visa and he was over the moon. Probably not going to leave a review. So reviews... You get them for the people that are willing to do it. Um, And if somebody has a really bad experience, they're going to share that as well. And it'll be out there. But sometimes you're more likely to get those too. You know, if people have a really bad experience, so look for that as well. Some law firms have um, some pretty crummy (laughs) reviews out there. Not not just don't just read the five star ones. Read the one star ones. I always read the bad reviews first. I don't read. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm serious. You read read them first. Yeah, I don't read the I don't read the five star reviews. Oh, I read the negative ones, and then I'll go to the five star. But you need to you need to take all these reviews also for what they are, right? Sometimes it's somebody's opinion. Exactly, and if you if you're pleasing everybody all the time. There's a problem, in my opinion, too. So if somebody has flawless reviews and they've never had a bad experience, that's not telling the whole story. I think some people do weed them out and try to avoid getting them, right? Whereas you're going to have client experiences where it's not going to go perfectly. It's not going to. And you can't please everybody 100% of the time all the time. Right. And that's why it's very important when you're selecting an attorney or a client that it's a good fit, because if it's not, it could end up being a bad experience for both of you um, just because it wasn't a good fit from the beginning. So look at those reviews. They're out there. Ask for them. Ask for case specific examples to make sure they've dealt with the thing that you're dealing with and um, verify for yourself and referrals right ask your family and friends if they've dealt with someone before oh yeah that's a good that's a good way to find somebody good too if you have a friend or family member that's gone through a similar process to you and they have a name for you that's probably the first place to start and they may not put a review online but they would give you a recommendation face to face Mm -hmm. right say yeah i've dealt with these people they're great now what about you know people um choosing an attorney based on years of experience or um yes you know years that they've been in that practice area or, you know, even on geographical location, some people say, I only want to work with an attorney if they're, for example, we get calls from people um, in Canada that say, well, I want my U S immigration attorney to be in Canada. Wow. So you just hit on several different ones that I think are all important. So let's go back to experience first. Experience is absolutely important, especially in immigration. And I would say 
immigration-specific experience. So if you're dealing with a law firm and they deal with 20 different practice areas, well, how much experience do they really have with immigration? You know, it may be a 100-year-old law firm, but when did they open their immigration practice? And does that attorney they have only do immigration? Mm -hmm. What level of experience do they have with immigration? And how many years of it? I would say that if you're under five years in the field of immigration and you're just dealing with immigration, there's still a lot to learn. I would, once you hit the eight, 10 years plus, that's where you're becoming very proficient. And that's if you only deal with immigration and only deal with certain types of cases, right? And I would add to that. So if you're, um, you know, with a family-based immigration, maybe just an immigration attorney is going to be enough. But with a lot of these business immigration issues, you want somebody who's got maybe some corporate experience as well to help navigate the different business options for you and understand your organization. Yeah, did this attorney have a career before law school? Right. Right. Or did they practice in more than one area of the law throughout their career? Yep, that helped develop their... their It helped develop their immigration ability now, right? Yeah, for example, I've, as a lawyer, I've only done immigration and primarily dealt with Canadians doing TN visas, L visas, family matters, E visas, thing, business expansion, stuff around Canadians doing business in the United States. That's what we do. You're Canadian. You went through the process yourself, right? But dealing specifically with that. And prior to that, what did I do? Well, I was in business sales marketing for 10 years before I even went to law school. So uh, when you work with us... And I, I mean, I practiced fresh out of law school on corporate insecurities for years in New York City. So I have that background, that business experience, that understanding of corporate structures that helps me now in my business immigration practice. Yeah, we've actually worked in the business field. So that that helps a lot when you're dealing with uh, business matters. And then in family matters, you know, you've gone through the family family situation yourself. Uh, Family matters are, are much less complex. But you still need to be experienced. You need to know what's going to happen if you file a certain form or a certain thing happens with a case. You need to be able to analyze people's biographic documents to verify, yeah. you know, and whether I mean, or not they're we, acceptable. So there's, like there's actually a message board that we subscribe to that has um, different immigration practitioners ask questions of other practitioners. A lot of solos out there who don't have somebody to bounce ideas off of post on there. And we yeah. often see immigration attorneys posting questions on there that surprise me and I think you as well because they're so basic and you question whether or not this attorney I think to myself they probably shouldn't have taken on this matter if they don't have the basic understanding um, to be able to answer or find the answer in the in you know the books and the legal research themselves and then instead they're asking um, you know, the immigration bar to assist them with this. Um, you know, and you'll find that with newer practitioners. So, um, you know, that would be completely Solos understandable especially. with, yeah, I mean, with someone fresh out of law school who's taken on immigration practice, I'm sure you had a lot more questions back when you started. But um, we see some very seasoned immigration attorneys asking very basic questions. It always shocks me yeah, to me think too. that they, they would, would put that out there. It's instead almost embarrassing of, to see some of the questions. Yeah. Um, How do they not know that? 
Yeah, and or they, they, they may say, I don't, I don't really, really practice in this area, or I haven't done many cases like this. And I and think to myself, taken the case. you probably shouldn't have taken on the case. And so, yeah. um, you know, when you're choosing someone, make sure they're familiar with what they're doing for you, um, and they've done it before. And that's a benefit of having a business partner, right? We bounce, we talk to each other all the time throughout the day. If we have a question or second guessing ourselves, then we bounce those those questions off of each other. Maybe I've had an experience in the past that you haven't, or you've had an experience that I haven't, and we go or you're back just and second forth. guessing your decision, right? You're we like, even go I've to our this, paralegals I've all the time. I've done this before, but it's been a few months. This is the right way to do it, right? And you have someone there to say, "Yeah, I did a while one since I did this. I, I did one last remember? week. So yeah. here's how you do it." Yeah. yeah. And then paralegals too. That's another great resource. We have mm-hmm. some very experienced paralegals, and they. They they are dealing with things on a very frequent basis, whereas we may step back a little bit sometimes because we're on calls or, or doing other things, right? And they help refresh our oh, memory are, on They things. are uh, the number one resource for our clients, especially with, you know, the day-to-day questions that you get and how to fill in certain information, you know, how it's going to affect their case. Changing forms, They've changing seen it. Evidence. These paralegals yeah. have seen it all before, so they, they're really a great resource for our clients. Very yeah. valuable. Experience is definitely something you should look into uh, in that specific area. You can't overemphasize that enough. Mm -hmm. In immigration. Correct. If they're dabbling in immigration, watch out. Sure. Yeah, like those general practitioners that are just... See them a lot, too. Sure, I do immigration cases or, you know, Mm. it's not a good idea. Only immigration. Do not hire an immigration attorney if they do anything else. That's that's my, my opinion, and I'll stand by it. Just because immigration is so complicated, so complex, ever changing. If that person does anything other than immigration, and they better do a large volume I mean, of they immigration say, cases too. They say that the, you know immigration law is second only in complexity to tax law in the United States. So you want somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, and does it all the time. Right, and so bar admission. What is, does that matter? What if I'm admitted in Virginia and I'm practicing immigration law, and I, my clients in Florida or Canada, for that matter? Yeah, and that goes back to that other question you had too about. Where's that attorney located? Mm-hmm. Well, for immigration law, it's federal. So as long as you're admitted to a bar, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, a bar of any state in the yeah, United States. Because you're practicing federal law. Then you're eligible to practice it. And location really doesn't matter either for immigration law. Why? Because it's federal. Well, I would, I, you know, it ma- I think it matters think- that, it, that, you know, you want your attorney to be in the United States. You yes. don't really want to work with a U.S. immigration practitioner in your home country. No. Uh, especially in this day and age. Sure, it may maybe well, made sense. Everything's filed in the U.S., well, right? But it, maybe it made sense back before email and before everything was electronic to have an attorney that you could go to their office and um, talk to them face-to-face. Yeah, get on a video call. Send in them an In this day and age, you want, you want somebody who's doing immigration every day. You're going to be speaking to a practitioner inside the United States. Um, we've had a lot of calls from people speaking to practitioners in Canada and other countries that practice U.S. immigration law, um, you know, and it's hit or miss. They've never been to a a border interview. They've never been to a USCIS interview. They've never seen a lot of this stuff face-to-face. Because they're not eligible to practice here. Yeah, and they can't even do it because they're not eligible to practice in the United States. And that's a lot of our experience comes from actually going to the Peace Bridge, for example, and standing there with a client applying for a TN visa Back or when an we were able visa. To, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that experience is yeah. even more valuable now because you can't do it anymore. Right. And those years going to the port and seeing how this process works, 
attending naturalization interviews and marriage interviews with clients on a regular basis at USCIS. If you're not in the country, you're, you don't have that experience and you can't get that from a book. No, definitely not. So you want to make sure that your U.S. immigration practitioner is inside the United States and any state will do. <laughs> yes, it will. Um, but also be careful there, too, because if you're Canadian and you're hiring an attorney in Texas. Yeah, well, they're not. Their practice isn't focused on you. That's for sure. That's probably southern border. Yeah. Right. Not northern border. Yeah. So that location in the U.S. is important for that matter. I'm looking out the window right now behind us. You can't see it. But the Peace Bridge is there. Lake that's Lake Erie. Lake Erie's <laughs> right there. And you, you had to remind yourself what Lake what that is was. That? <laughs> what, what town is that? That's Fort Erie. <laughs> Fort Erie. No, but and Crystal Beach. So you have Crystal yeah. Beach and Fort Erie. And I mean, we Peace can Bridge. literally see Canada from our office window. So, um, and I'm Canadian, so we we are very familiar and with the requirements. If I were Uncle Rico from Napoleon <laughs> Dynamite, I could throw a rock and hit the Peace Bridge right now. <laughs> So, you know, that ge geography doesn't matter as far as admission and ability well, to practice in that USCIS area. And USCIS is two blocks down the road. Right. We could walk to and USCIS. And we do. We, walked, we walk there and drop stuff off all the time. And so. the Peace Bridge, if we really wanted to, is, is right there and we could drop stuff off the Peace Bridge if, this, yeah. if, that, if we had to do it. I mean, so as far as geography goes, I think, you know, if you are Canadian and you want somebody who's familiar with dealing with Canadians and, um, no you know, better, the kind of documents yeah. that come from Canada and you, you want somebody who's on the Northern border because they'll have more experience doing what, doing what you're doing. And I'll, and I'll put everything on that, that, you know, when it comes to experience with Canadians, we can't yeah. be matched. And part of that is because where we're located, we see Canadians daily, you know, 90% of who we talk to on a, on the daily basis is a Canadian. And that's what our client makeup is. So when it comes to Canadians coming to the United States, either through family or business or whatever it might be, we've we've seen it. Well, they're my people. So. <laughs> they're my people, too. <laughs> I love Canadians. All right. So, um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. But now, how about uh, admission to, well, the admission to the bar doesn't matter. But what about membership in professional organizations? So you see a lot of um, attorney websites list all kinds of organizations that they're members of, like the Erie County Bar or the New York State Bar or what? I don't, I'm not going to, you don't want my honest opinion here, but <laughs> um, I will say a lot of them are money grabs. And that's my honest a opinion. A lot of those memberships. If you are new, let's say you are a new attorney, you absolutely want to verify that they're members of those organizations. One of them would be American Immigration Lawyers Association or ALA. I think that's probably the most valuable one. If you're looking for if an immigration new, right? lawyer. Yeah. Well, if they're no, a new if, practitioner. Even if they're seasoned because ALA yeah. does publish a lot of new information. So they whenever do. there's changes, you they keep us abreast of what's going on in immigration law. So we don't have to constantly you surf already, the web to figure that yeah, out. But it's also we, stuff that... It's in our inbox in the morning. Yeah. So when you call us and ask us a question about a change to the U.S. immigration law, we typically have that information at our fingertips uh, as a benefit of that membership. So I would say that is the number one thing you should look for for immigration attorneys, ALA membership. Especially if they're new, though, and I'll emphasize that <laughs> because if you're new, you're going to find a lot of information. There's message boards and groups you can be a part of to get that information. The longer you've practiced, though, it, it yeah, it, we can argue that point, but it gets to the point where 
if you if you practice long enough, it's going to provide very little resource to you in the end, other than updates. So yeah, which make, I think is a very valuable resource, yeah. especially. I, I get stay calls, on t- you stay on top of that anyway. There too, are some though, clients right? that are, I mean, you do as as part of your daily practice, but it makes it easier. So that makes when, it easier. Sometimes yeah. we get in here at nine o'clock on a Monday morning, and there's been an update over the weekend, yep. and we get a phone call first thing from a client saying, "Hey, how does this affect my case?" And so if, if you were to look for one membership, and it's an, an attorney yeah, for ALA. immigration to be ALA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now what about um, consultations? So when you book a consultation with an attorney, you know, some of them are, are ask for a lot of money to, to speak to them. And some of them, <laughs> some of them like that. us don't, don't charge for those types We've of. We've dabbled in that though, right? I'm not going to mm-hmm. we can't say we never have, but bad but I mean, experiences so I, with I it. I honestly believe that some attorneys have to charge in order to do consultations. Um, you know, there's a very experienced practitioner that I'm familiar with that practices oh, yeah. only in a specific area of the law, um, and a consultation with him can be upwards of seven hundred and fifty dollars. Um, you know, and in a lot of areas, it, you know, other than immigration, that's a very normal practice to charge a consultation. Even some immigration attorneys charge a consultation fee. I'll never charge one. Um, well, I'm we not don't. A fan. Um, we don't do the typical consultation. No, so it's an assessment. Right? It's an you assessment for your case. What's right? going on? You know, do you have a job offer? Do you have a family member? We're going to walk through the basics of your your situation to determine a fit. Right. I don't really want to take money from somebody until I know that I can provide the service that they're looking for. And I may have, and you too, We, I have people I've talked to a year ago call back. Hey, I talked to you two years ago. I'm ready to move forward. Or I'll, And I have a call I just scheduled today. I've talked to them three times. Why? Because there's little facts I want to get in order before I'm comfortable saying, okay, your case is one we can handle. We can represent represent you properly. Let's move forward. This is how much it's going to cost to take care of it for right. you. Right. So when you call off our firm looking to speak to an attorney, you have some questions about an immigration case, whether or not you need an attorney. The first person you're going to talk to is probably our office manager who's going to ask you a few questions about your case and determine whether or not it's something... You, we do because there are some areas of immigration that we just don't even touch. Yeah. You Um, maybe have somebody in deportation proceedings. Well, we don't handle uh, immigration court. So our office manager will quickly refer you out to an attorney that we know that does those cases very well. Right. We have a couple great recommendations. Or you may have a tax question. (laughs) We don't do that either. Sure. And and business formation that comes up incorporating right or you may not be at the stage where you need an immigration attorney yet so i'm just thinking about getting engaged and i want to know what the fiance visa process looks like and we'll say well give us a call back once you're engaged because then we can really walk through the timelines and give you an understanding are hard to deal with Mm -hmm. or you know i'm thinking about opening a business in the u.s um but i don't have a business in canada right now but i'm just thinking i I may want to do that well you know, you got to hammer down your plans. What kind of business is this? Where, you know, yeah, where if? is it going to be? What, how much money are you going to be investing in that? So once you know that information, then we can have a call with you. It'll be more valuable for for you once you have that info because we can give you some input. Otherwise, it's just kind of a shot in the dark call. So that's the first person you'll speak with is our office manager. Once she determines we're able to possibly help you out, um, she'll schedule you a call with either Jeremy or I, and then we'll be able to really flesh out and we what don't- you we don't an charge option for, for you. No, we don't charge for that call. Um, and it's basically a get to know you kind of call. We figure out what type of help you need and determine whether or not we can do it. Yeah. And, and personally, that's the way I'm most comfortable because I've charged in the past. 
Um, but again, we do a, and we do a lot of you know questions and answers for people uh, who are clients or former clients where they just have basic questions. Um, and you know, most times we don't charge for that. No, we charge when we're actually representing you and, yeah. and doing a case for you. Right. So every every attorney looks works differently. Um, you got to figure out what works best for you. Some, you know, some it may be worthwhile to pay a consultation fee. If you talk to us, um, we're definitely not going to be giving you any specific legal advice in that call. You don't even have a link on our site for a consultation. But we'll have a conversation with you to determine whether or not we can help you. That's yeah. going to help you um, determine the best option for you as well. So, um, you know, and, and then that speaks a lot to fit as well. So, you know, you may be somebody that knows specifically what you want, knows the practitioner you want to work with. Um, if that's the case and they charge a consultation fee, then great. That might be a good fit for you, but you got to figure that out, right? So what's going to work for you and your yeah. family? Do you need a TN? Do you, a visa? Do you need an L1 visa? Do you need an mm -hmm. e-visa? What is it that you need? Um, and talking to somebody can help you determine whether or not that person has the experience in that area, uh, whether they can help you out. And in that conversation, yeah. You'll find out whether or not it's I a always good think, fit. Yeah, and I always think that it's not the best place to start to call an immigration attorney. Frankly, you, you should, should you, know, you should hit Google for yeah. hit Google up first and try to figure out, you know, get get a little bit of a general understanding, and then you'll get more value out of a call with us once you have a basic understanding it's of what like a job interview, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, what you You're can gonna, before you go and sit down in a chair across from somebody yeah. interviewing, you better know something about their company and whether or not that company's somewhere you want to work yeah. same thing with an immigration attorney or an attorney in that i mean it's, that it, there's nothing more frustrating than getting a call and somebody says oh i want to immigrate to the united states so we go through the standard questions you know do you have any family here do you have any business opportunities here do you have an employer that's looking to hire you here if the answer to all of those questions is no the call can't really go much further Just until that, everybody's time that person identifies how they plan to to emigrate to the United States. So a little bit of Googling before you call is going to give you much more value in the time that you're taking to speak to an attorney. Yeah. And you're hiring each other there too, right? Is it a good fit? Because yeah. we turn people away just because it's not a good fit. Either the case isn't something we have enough expertise in, right. we're not comfortable with it, but sometimes we're not comfortable with the situation at all. And it's just not a good fit. So we move on and we recommend somebody else. So it's, it goes both ways. Right. It's not like you can't find an attorney to do it. We're just not the right one sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. And so fees now, you know, attorneys have different ways of charging for their services. Some of uh, attorneys and I've worked at law firms where they do an hourly rate. Billable hours. Uh, yeah. The hourly rate. So you get a, you know, you get a bill at the end of your um, service. You may get it partway through or even a retainer to start as part of the process um, and they'll charge, you know, sometimes two, three, four, five hundred, six hundred dollars, sometimes even higher, depending on the experience of the attorney you're getting um, versus the other option, which is a flat rate fee. So in immigration law, flat rate fee is a little bit easier to work with, I think, sometimes than an hourly rate um, because we do have set services, right? And there's specific things that happen in, in an immigration case. And there's, you know, usually um, a predictable uh, amount of time, yeah, amount of time and pathway case, for yeah. the case. Um, so for that reason, we charge a flat rate fee. So we can tell you in a phone call 
uh, upfront how much the legal fees are going to be for the service and we that's provide. All you would expect to pay, right? And you know, if there are additional possible fees, we'll mention that as well. Um, so if there's a way, you know, that your case could go south and require different info, you know, legal input, we'll we'll detail that to you. So you have a clear understanding of what it's going to cost to your business or to you personally to go through the process. And sometimes cases are way more complex than we thought they were in the beginning. But guess what? It's a flat fee. We don't then go back to the client and say, oh, we need more money. It's yeah, which happens with an hourly rate, right? So they yeah. may give you a budget. Hey, I think this is going to take us 10 hours. This is our hourly rate. And then it ends up, you know, taking 20 hours. Yeah. Um, they will bill I, you for that. Yeah. So just be careful. And, you know, the, the good thing about a flat rate fee is, if you email us or you call us, you're oh, not paying. <laughs> you're not paying for every time we pick up the phone or um, start typing. Or a paralegal answers your question or does something. Yeah, you're not right. being charged as part of that flat fee. Um, it's all rolled into one one predictable cost. So that's the benefit of a flat fee. Um, some attorneys still do use the billable hour for. I'll tell you right now, if we charge you billable, it'd be more than our flat. <laughs> On most cases, you'd be you'd be paying more. Um, because these cases can, can, they're never the way that it appears on its <laughs> face. You get the initial There's facts. always complicating factors. Yes. Everybody's situation is different. So you find out something else. Oh, wait, you didn't tell me about that. Yeah. Oh, wait, this is different. Yeah. So yeah, flat fee can, can save your bacon. I think if you, if you're hiring an attorney, because you know exactly what you're going to pay for. And if complications arise, most of the time that's covered in the flat fee depends on what it is mm-hmm. um so. and if it's not we'll tell you up front so yeah this is outside thing. of that retainer it's going to cost an yeah. additional x amount to do that yeah so you know as opposed to the hourly rate where you know it could be a mystery cost at the end this is my favorite one uh, the last the last thing to look for this is probably my favorite discussion big law versus boutique and what's the difference? Or versus solo. Or versus solo. Right. So a big law would be a huge law firm with multiple practice areas, possibly hundreds of attorneys. Um, benefit of that is that if you have the need for an attorney outside of the immigration realm, you'll have access all to that. House. Right. You'll all, you'll have access to attorneys in, in those fields as well. And that can work great for some some clients, some clients already have. Fees are generally higher if you're working with big law too. Generally higher, generally an hourly billable hour situation. They're used to working with um, bigger clients and. Experiences typically in, in my experience, if especially with immigration, they're probably not going to have that niche specific experience you're looking for either. Most big law firms for immigration know how to do, for example, H1Bs and and L visas, but well, then so typically with if you're do, dealing with big law and it's an immigration practice, um, they're used to doing their immigration practice as a service to their existing corporate clients. Yes. So it's, it's a kind of a side area that they have within their firm um, to answer questions and make applications on behalf of existing clients. Yes. So if you're coming to them as an individual or a smaller business. Um, even a bigger business that doesn't need, you maybe you already have in-house counsel um, and you just need some one-off immigration assistance with hiring somebody, um, that might not be the best choice for you. Yeah. Um, if you want that, And if you want that individualized attention and experience, you're, you're probably not going to get it either. 
Right. So, you know, the big law can work for some clients. Um, the other option, solo practitioners, um, that's just one attorney in an office. I started may- that way. So it's not the worst, but I, w- I can speak, you know, when you start solo. I've worked as a solo too, but it's the experience level and right? resources, and right? Resources. So the, the, the legal resources available to a solo you don't have the mindset, you don't have the mind of another attorney. Plus if that solo is gone, who's going to take care of you? Right. And that's, those are the people that are, um, you know, asking questions on a message board because they don't have another attorney to, to, to quiz or to verify that the information, their their research is is accurate. Right. Um, Plus if you're out of the office, you're out of the office, right? How accessible are you going to be? If I'm out of the office, you're in the office. Yep. So typically you can ask, you know, either one of us if you have questions and we have paralegals and office managers. There's all these, all this level of staff that's there to, to assist. So you're not just left, you know, all alone. Yeah. So sometimes the solo can work. It, it can be a great option. Other times you may want to consider having your case handled by a boutique firm. So maybe, maybe big law isn't right for you, but you also don't want to go the route of just having only one attorney handling all the cases in the firm. Um, a boutique firm will have more than one attorney, but we'll have a practice area that's very focused. So for example, our practice area is immigration. That's all we do. We are a boutique firm. We have only two attorneys. Some boutique firms have more than that, may have a handful or even more attorneys, but they only practice in one practice area. And ours is even, Can you, you can even be more specific that it's primarily with Canadians too. So Right. So within our boutique firm, we have a niche practice area that we've developed um, dealing specifically with Canadian citizens and their, immig- their U.S. immigration needs. That's very yeah. niche. I mean, if you think of all the other citizenships in the world and we're dealing specifically with one, um, you know, we have... Very specific experience. Well, right. And we have very specific experience. But in addition, we have a, a very strong familiarity yeah. with the needs and requirements of the, that Canadian applicant. So, and you'll run into... You'll, you'll work with big law and they won't know how to deal with a Canadian because they're dealing with, you know, Indian or Chinese nationals. Right. And there are some nuances. Know, yeah. Some they don't specific know... specific nuances with Canadian There's cases. There's a lot of exceptions for Canadians. Mm-hmm, that they may not know how to take advantage of. So, you we know, We hear that careful. a lot. Right. And they get bad advice because they just don't deal with Canadians. So they don't know how to handle it. And we Canadian. see it on those message boards all the time where they say, I have a, you know, I don't deal with Canadians normally and I have a case and, you know, I'm trying to make the appointment at the consulate. They keep some, telling me I don't need one. Yeah. And we're thinking, yeah, it's because you don't need one. You're putting your client through... Um, you know, an extra step that isn't required. Yeah. So make sure your attorney is familiar with you and your your country of nationality to make your process more straightforward and simplified. And and the last thing I'll add is beware of immigration consultants. They're not immigration lawyers. Well, right. So here in the United States, a lot of them are referred to as or notarios. Or the notario, too. yeah. Notarios, <laughs> immigration consultants. Because typically they're targeting southern border applicants. In Canada, um, you have those consultants. They're in, notorious. Right. So you got to be careful in Canada because we don't have them here in the United States. Immigration consultant is not a job. No, you here have in to the be US. a lawyer. You either have to be an immigration lawyer or you're not doing immigration work. Yeah. Um, the other. The, uh, the flip of that in Canada is you have your immigration lawyers, but they also have what's called immigration consultants. Um, they are not qualified to practice law, and they are they definitely not qualified to lives. practice U.S. immigration yeah. law. 
That's so awful. be very careful if you're dealing with a U.S. immigration attorney or practice in Canada. If they have you dealing with an immigration consultant, that is the wrong way to go. We've seen a lot of messed up cases um, uh, conducted by consultants that should have no business doing them. Well, thank you for listening today. If you haven't already, uh, please subscribe so that you can hear upcoming episodes. Uh, give us a thumbs up so that other people out there looking for similar content can find it. Uh, thank you for listening and have a great day.